We're continuing our nut tonight in our study of uh, the book of Philippians. We're looking at chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. If, you, uh, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, the scripture is printed on page 4. Place to take notes on page 5. Give ear now. This is God's Word. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live on in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is God's Word. Well, the question that we have begun to ask, we asked it last week, we're asking it again tonight, is when will I be happy with my life? When will I be happy? This is the question that so many of us chase after throughout all of our lives. In fact, for a lot of people, it's the chasing after happiness that defines who they are. Okay, that's how wrapped up they are. This week I was reading a book uh, to Ryan, my three-and-a-half-year-old son. It's a a kid's book called A Fly Went By. And it's about this little boy who watches this sort of incredible chaos unfold before him as a fly goes by that's running away from a frog that's running away from a bird, that's running away from a cat, that's running away from a dog, you get the picture, right? And all these animals are are, are chasing by, and he tries to figure out what's going on. And at the end of the story, you realize, you find out that none of the animals are chasing the animal in front of them. They're all running away from something that's behind them. Okay, and so there's this big confusion. And as I was reading this, it caused me to stop because I thought, wait a second, I think our lives are like that. I think for so many of us, we're constantly pursuing after happiness. We're asking the question, when will I be happy with my life? Because there's something chasing us. There is something that's chasing us. And what's, what's chasing us, I mean, in the, in the most general way, it's, it's unhappiness. 
Okay, we are being chased by lack of money. Right? We're being chased by a lack of security, a lack of relationships. The circumstances in our lives often seem like they're on the threshold of caving in on us. Right? And the whole world is kind of built around keeping this chase you know, coming at you all the time. Okay, every product that is sold is marketed by trying to get you to be convinced that you won't be happy, that you can't be happy unless you have this, unless you are part of this group, unless you have this kind of approval, unless you've got whatever I'm selling, you can't be happy. You shouldn't even think about being happy because look at yourself. Right? Look at you. You know, until you have what I'm selling, you can't think or even come close to being happy. And so it's like we're pursued. It seems like every, almost every moment, every day, we are pursued by the things that keep us from being happy. And that's what causes us to run after. We run forward because we believe the stuff that's chasing us. And we, chew, we, we pursue after happiness. And I said this last week, I think it's ironic because the pursuit of happiness, I think, is what keeps us from being happy. Okay? Because the pursuit of happiness is us constantly trying to fill the sentence, I'll be happy when fill in the blank. I'll be happy with my life when my circumstances work out. That is a lie that we are all tempted to believe. It's a lie that's constantly being put at us. And so last week, it's interesting, we talked about Paul's response to his situation. Okay? And we saw that Paul didn't actually think about his circumstances. Okay, last week, Paul was focused on other people, and that gave him happiness. Well, in our passage today, we actually see that Paul does eventually look at his circumstances. In our passage, Paul is looking at the circumstances of his life. And what he says about his circumstances will change your perspective. Okay, Paul is going to offer us his wisdom. You're going to stop saying, if you get what Paul's aiming at, you're going to stop saying, I'll be happy when my circumstances work out right. And instead, Paul's wisdom enables us to be happy no matter what our circumstances. Okay, and so the road through the circumstances of our lives takes three points today. We're going to look at three points. These are the points there on your outline. Um, let me give them to you quick, and then we'll go through each one. First, in bad circumstances, see what God is doing. In mixed circumstances, be careful of your expectations. And then in future circumstances, remember your purpose. Okay, and I'll give them to you again as we come to them in the sermon. So first, in bad circumstances, see what God is doing. This is verses 12 to 14. Okay, Paul is experiencing bad circumstances, right? We have the imprisoned apostle. Okay, this is Paul. We talked about this more in detail last week. He was called by God to preach the gospel to all the nations. He was called and he spent you know, so many years of his life traveling throughout the Mediterranean area, preaching the gospel, sharing this good news about Jesus, planting churches, seeing his calling come to life as people believed in Jesus and churches were formed. Paul was implanting the gospel into the world of his day. But now he's stuck. Now he's stuck in prison and he can't pursue this calling. One author said it's like a pianist who's got his hands tied behind his back. Right? He can't play. He can't play. He has gifts. He has a calling from God. He's got talent. He's got something in his heart that he needs to express, but he can't because his hands are tied. 
I mean, in a sense, this is what Paul was dealing with. And invites us to ask, you know, what are the bad circumstances in your life? What is it that's going on today that's stealing your happiness right now? What keeps you from being happy? What makes you frustrated? What are the circumstances that you are dying to change? Well, Paul's response to his bad circumstances invites us to take notes. I mean, literally, but also figuratively. Here's how Paul deals with it. Paul deals with it by seeing what God is doing. Okay, Paul's solution is to see what God is doing. And Paul sees, really, a couple of things in our passage. Verse 13, he says, It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so Paul sees that because he's in jail, the Roman guards are hearing the gospel of Jesus. These people are people who would not have heard and yet they're hearing the good news. And it's not just the guards. Okay, verse 13 says, the whole imperial guard and everyone else. So this is kind of amazing. The gospel of Jesus, that there's another authority that God has appointed, that God has established His Son, Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of the dead. God has established Him to be the authority over all things, to be the one to whom every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is God's loving authority. This announcement is becoming common knowledge under the very nose of Caesar himself. This is the imperial guard. These are the 9,000 elite troops of Caesar that serve him in Rome. And it's becoming common knowledge that there is another emperor. There is another Lord. And so... In this bad circumstance of Paul's imprisonment, Paul sees that God is using his chains to bring the gospel farther and deeper into the world than it would have if he had remained free. Catch that? Paul sees that's what God is doing. Well, he notices something else. Verse 14 says, Oh, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so the guards, they are people who weren't hearing and are now hearing. Paul's saying that there are people in the church who weren't sharing and now they're sharing. Okay, it's almost like the deaf are hearing and the mute are speaking. It's almost a connection Paul's making with the miracles of Jesus. You know, that Paul's ministry is seeing the miracles of Jesus continue on in this other kind of way. There were people in Rome, in the church in Rome, who were, who'd seen Paul being in prison, to see Paul sharing the gospel with these, with the guards, and they were concluding, well, alright, look, we're all afraid here. We're all afraid of what Caesar might do. But if Paul can do this in custody of the authorities, then maybe we all need to be a little more bold when we're freed from the, you know, from the authorities. Alright, if Paul can do it when the chips are, when, when the heat's really on, certainly we can do it while we're free. That's what's happening. And Paul can see that what God is doing, God is using his chains to strengthen others, to give strength to others so that they can begin to share their faith too. You know, he wants to share himself, but he's being shown that God wanted other people to be sharing too. Okay, and this is a good reminder for us because it's not just apostles or pastors who are the ones who are supposed to be sharing their faith. 
Okay, God has that desire for all of us. All of us are to be sharing our faith with others. If God has done anything in your life, if God has brought you any measure of happiness, any measure of peace, any measure of comfort, if God has enabled you to deal with anything that's adverse, then you've got something to share. You have something that you can share with other people. And we're not talking about being obnoxious. We're not talking about pushing you know, yourself on other people. We're not talking about just being that annoying person that only talks only about, about Jesus. But what we're talking about here is that you would love the people in your life so much. That you would love the people in your life so much that you would at least get them to where they can understand your faith and be blessed by it. Okay? Just so that they would understand your faith and be blessed by it. You know, at Harbor, we talk about uh, this is sort of the third piece of what we look at in terms of Christian maturity. You know, we, we break it into three, into three categories. We want you to be able to preach the gospel to yourself, to remind yourself of the good news of Jesus so that you can experience God's grace in your life, you know, almost in a way where you can fill yourself up with the Spirit. Okay, and then we want you to be loving your neighbors, actively, you know, doing things to serve your neighbors. And then that third thing is that we, we're asking you to pray it forward. So we call that just means pray for God to open up doors with the people in your life so that you might be able to bless them with your faith. Okay, and so that's what Paul is talking about. What's interesting is that when we do this, Paul says, look at verse 12. He says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Okay, when you share your faith with someone else, you are advancing the gospel. Okay, catch this. You know, we talk at Harbor, and I talk about this all the time, we talk about building the kingdom of God, right? We talk about the kingdom of God rising higher and higher, the sun of, of righteousness rising higher and higher over our city, filling the, filling the city with gospel-transformed people who are changing the way they work, who have a heart for the poor and are ministering in their communities. They're wanting to see their communities transformed, that are loving the people around them, the people who need help. Right? We have this vision for building God's kingdom. And there's lots of different ways that you can do that. There's lots of ways. But sometimes it gets kind of daunting, right? Because how am I going to build the kingdom of God? Right? It sounds like such a 10,000 foot level. What does that really mean? Again, there are lots of ways that you can do this. But what Paul's saying here is that when you share the gospel, you're advancing the gospel. You're advancing God's kingdom. Because what you're doing is you're allowing the message of Jesus to go farther and farther into the city. Okay, and that builds, that extends the reign of Jesus. It extends the reign of Jesus. And so, for you, in your bad circumstances, can you see what God is doing? I mean, right now, can you, can you imagine? Can you, are you starting to make connections? Can you see that God is doing something in the midst of your circumstances? I mean, maybe He's teaching you something. You know, maybe He is helping you to become more understanding of someone else. Maybe he's opening up a door, and because you're going through something, you're going to be able to help somebody else who's going through the same thing. Right? These are ways you have to be able to look and see. And when you make these connections, when you can begin to see how God is working in the midst of your bad circumstances, it, I mean, reality, it, just, it makes you happy. It does. It fills your heart with happiness. And so this is the key to being happy 
before your circumstances work out right. Before your circumstances work out right. And what this does, this happiness that comes, it's a happiness that can't be taken away. Because it's based on what God's doing. It's not based on the circumstances. And so what happens is you not not only become happy, but you become powerful. You become powerful. Because all of a sudden now, your circumstances can't control you. Your experience of God, your experience of joy and happiness isn't based on whether or not your circumstances work out right. You actually become more powerful than your circumstances. Imagine that. Imagine that. So, in your bad circumstances, you, you need to see what God is doing. Okay? Our second point, point number two, is that in mixed circumstances, be careful of your expectations. In mixed circumstances, be careful of your expectations. This is verses 15 to 18. Okay, now, what do I mean by mixed circumstances? Well, let's look at Paul's, and you'll, you'll get the picture. Um, Paul, in the midst of describing that his imprisonment has emboldened all these people to share the gospel. Right? You have all these people sharing the gospel. Paul is recognizing that there are some who are sharing the gospel from evil motives. Okay? There were some people who weren't doing this out of the goodness of their heart, out of their joy in Christ. They were doing it for, with, with bad intentions. And what was going on here? Well, the church in Rome, there were people in the church who weren't excited about Paul's ministry. Okay? I don't know if that surprises you or not, but there were some people who didn't like Paul's take on some of the theological issues of his day. Okay, and if you read the book of Romans, that was a letter that Paul wrote to this church. And there were two main groups of people. As you read this, you kind of see where the problems are. That There were problems between the Christians who were Jews before they became Christians and then the non-Jews who became Christians. We call them Gentiles, right? So you had Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians and they weren't getting along. Okay, they had significantly, they had some significant disagreements in terms of what Christianity was supposed to look like. Okay, and so Paul had an opinion on these things. And you see his opinion, he kind of tries to navigate through these two groups of people in the book of Romans. It's kind of interesting. You kind of watch him go back and forth between talking to the Jewish Christians, talking to the Gentile Christians. He's trying to walk the tightrope, you know, between the two. And what you recognize is that there were people who didn't agree with Paul. Like Paul had an opinion and there were a number of folks in the church in Rome who didn't agree with him. You know, most of them were the Jewish Christians. Okay, they didn't agree with Paul. And so what were they doing? Well, they were seeing Paul imprisoned and, in, and they were emboldened to speak, not just to share the gospel, but they were emboldened to speak and to basically undermine Paul's authority. Okay, and so they would have said things like, you know, ha, we knew he was wrong. We told you he was wrong. Right. We've been arguing about this, you know, and obviously it's very clear to anybody who's got a brain that the fact that Paul's in prison means that he was wrong. Okay, because we all know the Bible says that blessings are on the head of the righteous and that God will curse those who are outside of his will. God will curse those who are disobeying him. And so the fact that Paul is in jail must mean that he's wrong, must mean that his interpretation is incorrect. And so they were trying to undermine Paul. Verse 15 says they were sharing out of envy and rivalry. Verse 17 says they were actually trying to afflict Paul. You know, there he is suffering for the sake of Christ and they're just piling on. 
They're piling on. They're using this as an excuse to show that Paul was wrong. And so those are the mixed circumstances for Paul. So for you, what are the mixed circumstances in your life? You know, what are the environments, what are the areas where it's a mixture of good and bad? Right? So, I mean, maybe it's at work. Right? Maybe work provides some measure of joy and happiness for you at work. Um, but yet there's a lot of stuff at work that either frustrates you or maybe is, is a strong temptation for you to do things that are wrong. You know, it's a mixture there. Maybe you've got relationships like a spouse or a friend where, you know, you've got some things that are going really, really well. Um, and then you've got things that just you know, are driving you crazy. Things that are really wrong or, or really negative. I think politics is maybe the best example of, of mixed circumstances, because no matter where you stand, there's things that you look out at and, and see in the political spectrum and you think, wow, some of this stuff's really good and some of this stuff is really bad. Right. So what do you do? in that mixed circumstance, how do you respond? Well, Paul's response is that you've got to be careful of your expectations. Okay, be careful of your expectations. Look at verse 18. Paul, this is Paul's conclusion about this whole mixed situation. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Boy, catch Paul's heart here. What's Paul doing? Paul is saying, even about the people who are attacking me, even about the people who are using my situation to get themselves ahead, to promote their own authority, even with them, Paul says, look, it's fine by me. As long as people are hearing that Jesus is Lord, that's all that matters. And, and I'm not just going to tolerate this. I'm actually going to rejoice in it. I'm going to be excited about it. Because that's what is more important. And so what you see here, Paul, it's like Paul is stepping back. There are other places where Paul really gets kind of raw in terms of how he deals with people that are, that, that are false teachers. And, and Paul's not saying that these folks are false teachers necessarily. But what Paul's doing, I think, is he's stepping back He's kind of evaluating what's going on. And his conclusion is, as he's writing about these Roman Christians to the Philippians, his conclusion is to affirm what he can and then let God deal with the rest. Okay? Paul is affirming what he can and he's letting God deal with the rest. So what we're seeing here is that Paul, I mean, he didn't have a relationship with these Christians in Rome. Okay, he didn't plant the church in Rome. He didn't have any he didn't have a relationship with them. I mean, really, there's two things that sort of influence Paul's thinking here. One is relationship and the second one is authority. Okay, Paul didn't have a relationship with these Christians and he also didn't have authority over them. Okay, yes, he was an apostle. Yes, he was called by God to preach the gospel, but he didn't plant the church. Right. He wasn't in spiritual authority over the Christians that were in Rome. And so for him to simply criticize where there was no relationship really is to invite public division. Okay, and that division would end up staining the reputation of the church in front of the world. And Paul didn't want to do that. Paul didn't want to do that. And so this is a good word for us. And we find ourselves in disagreement or in mixed circumstances. Okay, because I think in our lives, the temptation for us when we disagree or there's a mixture is to focus on where we disagree. 
right? And I mean, like I am, I am the chief of sinners in this area. Okay. I mean, going back, I don't know, 10, 12 years, like I was like, if you were to meet me, I'd tell you, like first time I met you, I'd make sure you really understood who I was as a Christian. Like I wasn't just a Christian. Okay. I was a Christian who was a Protestant, not a Catholic. Okay. I was reformed, not Arminian. Okay. I was, um, I was a Presbyterian, not a Baptist. Okay. I was a cessationist, not a charismatic. Okay. I was a presuppositionalist, not an evidentialist. Right. I was not a millennialist, not a, not a, not a, not a premillennialist. I mean, I was, I, I just go down the road. I, I had 15 or 20 of them. Okay. And every time I met somebody, if I found out they were a Christian, I'd find out, oh, what kind of Christian are you? You know, where do you stand on this issue? What about this issue? What about that issue? And we, and I just take them down through the line to find out exactly where they were. Right. And so here, here am I, here am I doing this. So I meet somebody and, and they line up with, let's say, six out of seven. Okay. What do I then spend the next 15, 20 minutes doing with them? I'm focused on that one area where we disagree. Okay. Because God has called me to fix them. And they're clearly wrong in the seventh area. And if I don't share this with them, if I don't fix them, if I don't teach them what's right, their spiritual life will just be hindered. My goodness. And it's out of love, the love that wells up in my heart to fix you and to teach you the real way of the word. I mean, this is who I was 10, 12 years ago. Um, God has been un- un- unbelievably gracious to me. And he has showed me that, gosh, you know what? Even if you're right, you're wrong. Um, even when I was right, I was wrong. Um, and so maybe that's an extreme example, but you know, maybe I'm not the only one. I mean, in politics, isn't this how a lot of people are? Come on, I'm not by myself here, I don't think. Um, just maybe not as bad. I'm concentrated orange juice, maybe, I guess, in that sense. Um, and so we just tend to have the sense that we want to focus on that one area and, and make an issue out of that. Right? We want to make an issue out of that. And so what Paul is doing here is he's inviting us to use wisdom. And it, it's these two things. It's, it's you've got to ask yourself, what relationship do I have with this person? And then... Um, what authority do I have with this person? I mean, those are the things that actually help govern Paul's interaction with these teachers, with these people who are sharing. And it's what ought to govern us. You know, and so I ask myself, you know, what is my relationship with this person that I'm going to criticize? You know, and, and do I have any authority? I mean, now I meet people all the time. And I get a sense of where they are, you know, and I'm not pressing them for whatever, you know, for where they are on the map. But, you know, I meet people all the time who are doing their best to follow Jesus. They're doing their best to understand, to live and and to live in a way that honors him. And there are lots of areas where we disagree. Okay, and now the thought process that I run through in my head, it starts with, Stephen, you're not their pastor. Okay, authority. What authority do I have over this person? They haven't invited me into this area of their life, right? They haven't told me, oh boy, look, here's who I am. And I'd really love somebody to, add to tell me if this matches up with all that the Bible teaches, you know? And I mean, most people don't ask me that. And so, um, so I tell myself, look, <laughs> you're not their pastor. And then I realize, you know, and I remind myself of this, you know what? It's possible, the chances are, that if you could actually convince them that you're right about an area where you disagree, so that they change their mind, if they stay at their church... You might actually be make, you know, making them into a person that's going to cause problems at their church. 
Right. Because now all of a sudden they disagree and they're going to go to their elders and they're going to they're going to tell other people, you know, and, and I mean, it just it can cause problems. And so, you know, again, it's, it's the wisdom, like what kind of relationship do I really have with this person and do I have any authority over them? OK, now there's a sense to where all of us you know, who name the name of Christ, we're all brothers and sisters. So Paul says in verse 12, right, I want you to know, brothers, we're all the family of God. So there is a measure of responsibility that we have to everybody. Right. There is a measure of authority that we have because we're all submitting ourselves to the word of God. OK, but you've got to ask yourself those questions. And I think, you know, again, the joy of doing that is that what it frees you up to do is it frees you up to say, instead of trying to figure out, OK, what's wrong with him? And how can I fix that? You can ask yourself, what is God doing in this person's life? You know, what is God in the midst of teaching this person? What are they learning? What is their church doing? Like, what is God doing in their church? What's God doing in their denomination? And just be excited about that. Right? Just do what you can to affirm that. You know, and, and say, you yeah, know, well, gosh, I'm excited that you're doing that because that seems to reflect the heart of God. You know, the aspect. And, and, and oftentimes what I've found is that they're doing something that I need to be doing a better job in. You know, especially being a Presbyterian. You know, I mean, we... We do theology well, I think, but then we, we miss out on a lot of other areas of, you know, that, that other denominations really need to inform and instruct us on. And what this does is this when you so so we're talking about what you know, be careful of your expectations. Right. Don't expect that every situation that's mixed is going to work out to be exactly the way you want it. OK. And when you get to this point, boy, it makes you happy because you are free not to have to fix everything. Okay, now for some of you, that's like really irritating because you want to fix everything. Um, But this this gives you an amazing amount of freedom that comes along with happiness because it's not up to you. You Because God is doing stuff outside of your authority, outside of the relationships that you have. And that brings us a happiness that lasts. That lasts. So that's that's our second point, that in mixed circumstances, be careful about your expectations Okay, then third, last point, in future circumstances, remember your purpose. Okay, point three, in future circumstances, remember your purpose. This is verses 19 to 26. So Paul's future circumstance is the upcoming trial. Okay, he's about to stand before Caesar and he's going to have to give a defense. Okay, and it may be that Caesar will let him go because Caesar really doesn't think Christianity is that big a threat. Okay. It could also be that Caesar decides, you know what? I don't like this guy. I think he is a threat. Let's execute him. Okay? Paul's going to stand before Caesar. Caesar's going to make a declaration. Paul had some ideas, but he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen in the future. And so, but his perspective on these future circumstances really, really helps us. Okay? Because I'll go out on a limb. I'll say that every single one of you have circumstances about your future that are uncertain. Right? There are things about your future that are stealing your joy, right? That, that keep you from being happy, right? I mean, maybe it's something with your job. Maybe it's the future of your work. Maybe it's the economy. Maybe it's the market. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a relationship. I mean, what is it about the future that keeps you from being happy? For Paul, Paul's solution is to remember your purpose. Okay, remember your purpose. Paul had one ambition. 
Okay? There was one purpose in Paul's life. He had one thing that he was about more than anything else. He talks about it in verse 20. It's toward the end of verse 20. He says that now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Okay, so Paul had completely wrapped his own personal happiness around one thing. One thing. And that was, can I honor Jesus? Can I live my life in a way that honors Jesus? And so Paul runs that one passion, that one desire, that one thing that matters in that one purpose. He runs that through his future circumstances. And he thinks... Well, so can I honor Jesus if I live? Or can I honor Jesus if I die? And Paul's conclusion, he kind of walks us through this, and we'll look at this. His conclusion is that I can honor Jesus in both. And so what does that mean? For Paul, it meant I cannot lose. I can't lose. The future can do nothing to me that will keep me from my one purpose, which is to honor Christ, either by life or by death. You get that? I mean, this is the kind of thing you want to take home with you, right? That kind of confidence, that kind of Assurance, that kind of peace, that kind of freedom, it doesn't matter what happens with this coming trial. Because no matter what happens, I will still be able to honor Christ. And that is the one thing to me that matters. And so he kind of spells it out, verse 21. He says, For me to live is Christ. If I'm going to live beyond this coming trial before Caesar, it just means my life serving Jesus. To have Him living in me. To know His power. To see His power and His love working through me. To help others through me to know Him better. I get to experience Him more and more while I help others do the same. In verse 22, He describes it as fruitful labor for me. And then in verse 21, He says, To die is gain. Because death means Jesus himself. If Paul is executed, then the entire goal of his life has been reached. And so this isn't a death wish. Okay, it's not a death wish, but it's actually the realization of everything that Paul has been living for. Man, I mean, I just, if you could, <laughs> what's amazing here is that Paul's not, Paul's not telling us to do this, but by telling us what's in his heart, he's inviting us to take his heart and, and put it into ours. This is like, it's like apprenticeship. Paul's not giving us the how to be happy sense, but he's just saying, look, I am happy. And this is why I'm happy. And he's offering it to us. This is Paul's perspective. For Paul, it was a choice 
between gaining Christ and fruitful work for Christ. Right? It was a choice between obtaining the prize in full versus working so that others might obtain it with him. Is this your heart? Is this your single purpose? This is, I mean, this is our solution. You know, because our problem is that we live for our circumstances. Okay? For us, it's Jesus plus our circumstances. And we're back into that, I'll be happy when this thing happens or that thing happens. Right? And the problem is that for us, when it's Jesus plus something else, that something else takes control. Okay? That something else becomes the thing that really matters to us. And so for Paul, Jesus was his singular passion, and he's offering us his joy, his happiness, if we will take his purpose. And the way to get it, really, it's just to let go of your circumstances. It's to let go of needing the circumstances to work out right before you're going to be happy, and to take hold of Jesus. Don't wait. If you want to be happy, don't wait until your circumstances work out. Decide today that you're going to live for Jesus, that you're going to spend your life in every area. I mean, this doesn't mean that you don't work, right? It just means that you work for Christ, right? You do your work imaging God. We talked about this all last month, right? It means your relationships are about you loving people in Christ. It means about you looking at your community in a different way. It means about pouring your heart out in mercy for people in our city who need it, right? When you do that, this happiness will begin for you. You will feel your heart swell up with this happiness because you'll be set free. You'll be set free. And what this does, we talked a little about this last week, this sets you on a road that leads you to forever. Sets you on this road. And it's not, it's not this straight line that, you know, leads to increasing measures of perfection where you have this experience and all of a sudden you're triumphantly marching down your life and nothing can touch you and all of a sudden everything's glory and, glory, you know, and, and you just sort of waltz into eternity. I mean, that's, that's not how it works, right? And that's not what Paul is saying here. That's not what I'm saying. It's not a Pollyanna rose-colored glasses at life. It actually has all kinds of suffering. It has all kinds of bad circumstances, Mixed circumstances, future circumstances that are uncertain. It's fraught with that. But what is going on here? It's a choice for you between two roads. Okay? It's a choice between two roads. You can serve your life circumstances and walk down the road of your circumstances, or you can serve Jesus. That's the choice. That's the choice. And Paul's own life shows us that it doesn't mean your circumstances are going to work out. It's oftentimes quite the opposite. But what it means is that at any moment in time, including right now, Jesus is inviting you onto the road whose end is him. He's inviting you to walk on the road that he is standing at the end, standing with happiness in one hand, and forever peace in the other. That's what he's offering you. And the great news is that this road that leads to this eternal happiness is filled with foretastes of what's at its end. 
there are signposts, there are road signs, there are mile markers. And those mile markers don't just tell you that there's happiness to come, but they actually fill you with happiness. They give you a foretaste of that happiness. And every time you are holding on to your circumstances, your circumstances are falling apart or they're mixed, they're bad, or they're future and uncertain. Every time you say, you know what? I'm going to let this go and I'm not going to let my happiness be based on my circumstances. Jesus, I am going to work out right now a way that I can serve you no matter what happens in this. I'm going to work out a way right now where I'm going to release needing to be in control of everything and fixing everything in this situation. And I'm going to look at my relationship, my authority here. Jesus, when I, I'm going to let go of my bad circumstances and see what you're doing in my life. Every time you do that, you're going to experience this happiness. That's going to, it's a foretaste of the happiness that you'll have perfectly in eternity. I mean, this is, this is what Jesus offers us. And i got to be honest, I, I went through this this week. Um, I think it was Wednesday. It was early in the morning. Not early. It was like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. And I thought myself into oblivion. Okay? This is a standard practice of mine. Um, you know, I was thinking through the things that needed to get done. You know, my, my to-do list. And... I thought about a couple of things and then I thought about three more things and then I thought, well, if that's going to happen, these four things need to happen and then actually, oh man, I forgot about this. I need to make sure this happens. And all of a sudden, like, in my head, like, I didn't have a list in my head, but it was just, it was overwhelming. Like, for me, it was like, if, if my life is braiding a string, the braid, the string just sort of all went haywire and there was this just incredibly tangled knot. It was a mess. Everything was a mess. And I literally got to the point where I couldn't handle it. Like, I, I just, I, I had to throw up my hands and say, like, I can't do this. I can't do this. My future circumstances, like, I'm not going to get this stuff done this week. I can't get this stuff done. And I just went into this sort of spiral. I mean, this spiral down, and I was, like, undone. I was undone. I mean, anybody else feel that way? I mean, this is what I went through this week. And I thought, ugh, you know. Curse me for preaching a sermon like this. And then God comes and tests me on it, you know. You've got to live it before you preach it, Stephen, you know. And, and when I was down, I mean, like, I was crying. And I was like, God, I cannot do this. There is too much in front of me this week. I cannot get all this stuff done. There's no way on earth it's all going to happen. I give up. I give up. I can't do this. And God met me there. I don't know what, like, you know, I can, I can explain to some degree what happened. You know, God gave me this assurance. It was like he said, you know what, I'm with you. I'm right here. And then he said, you know what, it's, it's not as bad as you think. Um, and it was almost like what he said to me was, you know, Stephen, there's about three things that you probably really need to worry about. And it was like those things kind of came into my mind and I thought, okay. If I do this, this, and this, my, my week probably won't be that bad. And I think I can continue to go on. And I mean, it sounds simple, but when you're in it, I don't know. Like, I, I was down. I went down the spiral. I was gone. I was gone. And God met me there when I cried out to him, when I was able to let go of that list of stuff. And it just made all the difference. Happiness flooded my heart. And I was thinking, wow, God, thank you. Thank you that my happiness isn't based on my circumstances. That I can be happy right now knowing that none of that stuff is done. That's what Jesus offers us. 
That's what he's offering you right now. He offers that to all of us. So, I mean, it's, it's which road do you want? You know, if you don't know Jesus at this point, the road of circumstance, boy, it fluctuates like that. It's unpredictable. There's no, there's no certainty of hope. There's no assurance there. But the road to follow Jesus brings freedom and peace. And again, it makes you powerful because now circumstances aren't what control you. And then Christians, for you, I mean, how often do we go back to that old road? Right? We try to stay on that road following Jesus, but we find ourselves back on the other road. It's the same thing. Christians and non-Christians, all of us, the invitation is to leave that road and and to get back on that road that says, Jesus, can I serve you in this way? If I can, then that's enough. Then that's enough for me. Which road are you going to take this week? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that you offer real peace and real freedom from the unending pursuit of happiness. Thank you that we don't have to say, I'll be happy when my circumstances work out. But by the power of your spirit, by the power of your spirit, we can experience your joy and your happiness today. God, we want that. We want that. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you've taken care of that thing that most needs to be taken care of, our sin. And because you've taken care of that thing that causes us to lose most of our happiness, our happiness the most, because you've taken care of that, we can trust you for everything else that goes on in our lives. Father, draw us to yourself. Give us this assurance. Give us this experience of your happiness. Help us to let go of being controlled by our circumstances. We pray this for your sake so that we might be better able to love you, to live in your freedom and your peace, and then to share that with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.